and welcome to Sue and Greg's first podcast on karate. That we don't have a title for. That we don't have a title for, but could be Waiting for Brad. Waiting for Brad, yes. Along the lines of Waiting for Godot, but we end up just talking about endlessly fighting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Waiting for Brad, that would be quite hilarious. Okay. For those who don't know who Brad is, Brad's a second dad who trains with us. He does. Who's not here. He's not here, but we are waiting for him. We're waiting for him. He will join us eventually. He will. He will. He's like me. Once we get him talking about karate, he won't shut up. <laughs> so this is really conversations about karate, specifically Shotokan karate. Oh, I like that. Conversations about karate. That's a good title. Conversations about karate. Have we found our title? I like that. That's good. We have found our title because yeah. we came to the studio without a title, but knowing that we enjoy having a lot of conversations about karate, usually prompted because we're waiting for Brad and... <laughs> Yeah. I am trying to avoid Greg putting his gloves on and saying, right, Sue, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's spar. <laughs> I don't do that all the time. I don't want people you, thinking no, I'm some don't. kind of no, animal don't. that beats you up all the time. That's not what happens. We, we, we do a lot of different don't. types of training. We do a lot Sparring of different types part. of training. <laughs> I don't. No, no, but um, let's uh, get talking. So what do you think makes a good karate teacher? I, I would say I don't really consider myself a karate teacher, though. So but you teach I, karate. I do teach karate, but I, I don't think of myself as a teacher. What do you think of yourself I as? Don't really, I just, you know, share things, mm-hmm. experiences, knowledge. But I don't, I, I, I don't like teaching big groups of people. I like teaching people, you know, individuals, two, three, four people. It's more personal. Mm. You learn more. You learn more, or they learn more. I learn more, more and they learn more. You learn the most from teaching other people. Oh, yeah. For sure. Definitely. But to teach a big group, you kind of have to water things down a little bit in order to get things done. When you can teach two or three people like we do on a Sunday morning, it makes it much easier. And I think you probably get more out of it as well. I think it's very different. I think in a big group, as a student, you can hide more. Definitely. You can hide more. Plenty Um, of people hide. I do. Definitely. I think that's oh, one of the problems done. with martial arts, like traditional karate, is it's very easy to hide. Mm. Especially with a traditional syllabus. It's very easy to hide for yeah. a long time. <laughs> and then when you, when you start creeping up the ranks, <laughs> that's why you see people drop out. The higher they get, they realise they've been hiding for a long time. And then it gets hard. Yeah, when, it, it does. It yeah. does. And there's nothing quite like being put right on the spot. No, definitely to not. To really realise and go home and think, right, okay. I really do have to practice yeah. because all of a sudden people are looking at you like like I used to. When I first came into a karate class, everyone above me looked like, I don't know, amazing. <laughs> like the best. Class full of ninjas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, especially when you come in thinking, you know, I mean, Jeff, when I arrived, he thought I was waiting for the class next door because <laughs> I had stood so far behind absolutely everybody. <laughs> What was the class next door at the time? I can't remember. Badminton? No, the uh, sports halls being refurbed at the time. So the sports hall had been cut in uh, half okay. and there was spinning, oh, spinning, spinning going class. on next yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. So he thought I was waiting for that. And he said, oh, are you are you waiting for me? I was like, yes. <laughs> Not entirely sure about that, but yes. <laughs> it shows that what a difference smart karate can make to people, though, because you've come a long way since that day. Well, how far along was that? What year was that you started? Um... I don't know, when when was it? It's easily three years. Yeah, which isn't that long, really. Because I was teaching with him for one, and with you for a year and a half, 
did you have your class? Yeah, probably about a year and a half, yeah. About six, eight months? Yeah. But Jeff was a good teacher. Jeff was a very good teacher. Mm. He, was a, he was a harsh teacher at times. I was considered an old school teacher. Mm. Maybe he was just harsh on you. Maybe. It worked. <laughs> but there he was... He, he mellowed as the years went on, for sure. But he was definitely an old school teacher, old mm. school karate teacher. Hard, yeah. Hard taskmaster, yeah. as they say. But yeah, no, he was a very good teacher. Yeah, he, he created a lot of black belts in his time and did it for 30 years, so you have to be pretty good to... You have to be good and determined, but there wasn't much hiding in Jeff's class. You, you could hide up until a point. Mm. But I think Jeff's... Because obviously Jeff moved away from the traditional syllabus, mm-hmm. in a sense. And when you got to brown belt which is sort of three or four before black belt, that's when it kicked into high gear. And if you didn't, if you weren't ready for it, it would stick out massively. Yeah. yeah, so that's when people would drop off that had been hiding before. And then what happens if you get as far as brown belt and you're not ready? What? So you you, you said a lot of people can uh, yeah. drop out because they just suddenly realise yeah, what's they coming. Yeah, what's coming, yeah. But one of two things are happening. Either you drop out or they train harder and they make it. Which is, and I've seen that happen so many times. People, they, they either find it too hard, they leave, or they skip a few belts, stick at it, and then they make it. Mm. Yeah, that's what happens to people. That's one of the reasons I like a lot of modern martial arts, though. I say modern, but like the modern interpretation of martial arts. Places like kickboxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, judo. You have to, you're always put on the spot. You're always sparring, you're always grappling, you're always doing things. And if you can't do it, it shows. Mm. Whereas a lot of the times in traditional karate, if you're doing... You know, up and down in a line, stuff on your own, it's easy to hide. Especially if no one's really watching you, because you can't watch everyone all the time. No, you can't. Whereas if you're one-on-one with somebody, and you're physically sparring with them, Mm. and you have to do that for the grade, you can't really hide. That's Mm. one of the things I liked about Jeff's brown belt syllabus, is from brown belt, you were always sparring. I know when Mm. we, when I took over, we were sparring from day one. You sparred for your, what was it, yellow belt grade? That was, yeah. Yeah. So you you Mm. can't hide when you do things like that which a lot of traditional karate clubs do, they do yeah. hide. Yeah, and it's, it's really easy to, but um, I think I think that was the moment that I really noticed that I was really learning, was when relatively recently I was up against a red belt mm-hmm. and I explained something to them and they were like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And I was like, oh, my God, I know that. <laughs> I really do know that. And it's right. And it's a really good feeling when you suddenly get something and it's, yeah, 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 definitely. you go, oh my God, I have literally just imparted knowledge on something that yeah. was like I still get that now, a year though. and a half ago. Really? Yeah, I still get that now. There's things I've learned from years ago that you, you kind of, at the time you, you think, oh, I did, that doesn't really work for me. I, I won't pay much attention to it. And then years later you sort of see it again and it makes mm. sense to you. I've had that so many times with different things. You, especially when you look at, even on things like YouTube, you look at other martial arts doing different things. You go, oh, that looks quite similar to something I learned however many years ago. And then you look mm. at it again and it, Makes more sense. So you were talking about traditional versus modern. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. So how do you mean that? Because we've done both. I think in your class, the one that you did was mm-hmm. modern. I would call it modern traditional. Modern traditional. Yeah. I think the people get the word tradition confused in martial arts, I think. Okay. Because I think I, mean, I define traditional martial arts as, you know, you, you think of traditional karate as marching up and down the dojo in lines doing kata doing line basics things like that Mm -hmm. and that is traditional karate but it's traditional from sort of 1950s onwards if you Mm. look at old school traditional karate where you look at sort of late 1800s early 1900s it's very it's more like what a modern day karate class would look like 
it's, it's less line basics, less solo cutter, more pair work, more realistic pair work, more grappling, more close range striking, that kind of thing. But obviously as the years went on and karate was made more popular, those things, they were deemed too violent and nasty to keep in. So they, they took them out and made it more mainstream for the Japanese people to enjoy. But yeah, I think that when people think of traditional karate, that's what they think of. Mm. But what I think of traditional karate is something a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like the term modern tradition. I think it was Ian Abernethy that said modern traditionalists. I quite like that. Yes. Because it makes sense. Well, you're not trying to trash anything that's gone before. Definitely are you? not. You're I not think... trying to say that's not okay anymore. You shouldn't do it anymore. No, I think everything has its place. But I think I think the one tradition of karate is that it's changed constantly since its inception to now. You know, whereas a lot of like the modern day groups like the JKA, the KUGB, mm. I'm not trashing any of them, but it's, it's very much, they're at a point now and they will not change. Mm-hmm. And they haven't changed for the last 40, 50 years, mm. which in martial arts you need to change. You look at something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu of today is not the same as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu of 1993 when the first UFC came out. It's very different. Mm. And that's only, what, 25 years? How is it different? Because... People change. The way people, you know, you can only fight a certain way for so long before someone realises your tactics and your the way you move, mm. especially in that kind of... If, you, if you're talking about MMA, it's different to self-defence. That's another thing I think people in traditional karate get wrong as well. They confuse the fighting with self-defence, which are two very different things. Tactics for self-defence don't change that much, whereas you look at something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a sport, it will change because people... They get more advanced. They learn how to do things differently. So it's, it's bound to change more than something like karate. For anyone who doesn't know, what is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is it's a form of Jiu-Jitsu that focuses mainly on the ground. Um, it came from judo, mm. originated obviously in Brazil. I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I'm not an expert on it by mm. you know, by any means, but I believe it came around. It came to popularity in the early '90s with the first UFC. Ultimate Fighting Ultimate Champion. Ultimate Fighting Championship. Hoist Gracie came in and dominated everybody with mm. this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that no one really had ever seen. Right. was amazed by it. And then it's sort of taken off from there. And now it's massive. Yeah. Um, but I see a lot of the things that traditional karate had, the problems traditional karate had, are now being felt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. Um, in terms of, like, what's traditional, what's not, what works, mm. what doesn't. Should you wear a gi? Should you not wear a gi? Things like that. It seems to me that there's such value in keeping the tradition of keeping the history and keeping the knowledge of what are the the basics as, you know, that they shouldn't be lost. Definitely. It's, it's important to acknowledge the past, but I think too many people get stuck in it and they don't mm. want to move on from it. I think yeah. they feel safe in that zone, whereas sometimes you, you need to accept that it's, you know, people in the late 1800s might not have been quite as adept at fighting as someone who's fighting in a cage today. It's just... That's just the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. You can't expect them to be. And different people are going to have different fighting styles. Exactly, yeah. It's completely dependent on what they're, they're genuinely what their body is capable of. Yeah, definitely. Well, which is, when you look at the history of karate, that's exactly what they did. You, they might have one teacher and they would say, I'm an expert in this, this teacher's an expert in that, go learn from him, mm. go learn from this person. They would learn from loads of different people, loads of different things, and then they would bring them together and create a kata of their own which then gets taught to their students and then gets that's how it gets passed on to today. Mm. Whereas from sort of the, like the 50s, 60s onwards is when it caught, sort of got stuck and it didn't move from there. And someone somewhere said, this is the tradition. 
This is the way. This it is. is this yeah. is the way it is. And then people get upset, and yeah. or, or maybe not upset, but they become attached to tradition. They I, do. And I, I can think see we why. Do. We yeah, all we do. do. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm talking strictly. Obviously, I'm Shotokan, which is obviously a style of karate that we do. I'm talking from a Shotokan perspective. It's where it's happened the most. I would say mm. a lot of other styles, especially the Okinawan styles, don't. You know, they're still very effective, very self-defense based. Whereas modern Shotokan, definitely, I would say, is not very self-defense based. How so? I mean, I mean, if you, if you look at the traditional Shotokan syllabus, it's broken up into what. Shirt can people call the three Ks. So you've got Kihon, which means mm. your basics. You've got Kata, which is your solo sort of um, templates right. of techniques. Mm-hmm. And you've got Kumite, which is your two-person drills. All of those three things in modern, well, sorry, in traditional karate are treated very separately mm-hmm. and very unrealistically. So you've got your line basics. You walk up and down in a line. That's about as far as it goes. You've got your Kata. You do your thing on your own. That's about as far as it goes. And then you've got some set, very, very basic Kumite drills. So a person steps in, throws a punch, you block it and you counter. And that's, again, that's about as far as it goes. Whereas you need to progress beyond that, which is, you know, like we do, like the club we train at now does a lot of things beyond that. And you have to do that. I think the days of of people walking into a traditional karate place, doing those kind of drills and thinking they're going to be effective at self-defence is gone. I don't think you you can say that anymore. No. Especially with so many other things around. But again, I think that's that's more of a modern thing than a traditional thing. Mm. If you look at the traditional martial arts from back in the day, from a long, long time ago, they wouldn't be walking up and down the lines. That was created because they had so many students. And they thought, we need to be able to watch these people do things, so let's just put them all in a line. They can march up and down the school hall, and we can see them. Whereas if they're teaching a group of, you know, two or three, how many times do we do line basics when it's just the three of us training in the morning? Never. Exactly. You've never done it. We don't really need to. No, you wouldn't do a line basic. You get out of pads or you the. Pads. Or I the, mean, you still have to learn. Or the bag or something and say, practice, Absolutely. practice hooks. And then you know, build up a little cross and a jab and a, and a hook. Yeah. And, and then you go immediately live and say, just block it, Brad, Sue, run it. Yeah. So you actually go really fast from practice your technique to making it go live and yeah. then you know as soon as you do that you have to bring in the stress that comes with it and you your footwork to, yeah. and your speed and moving forwards moving back absolutely and it, it goes really fast from learning a technique yeah. into applying it but i couldn't do that if i was teaching a group of 20 people it's no. just not say it's not responsible but it wouldn't be responsible for me to show some a group of 20 people a technique and then say right go spar it just wouldn't be you couldn't do that you have to take more time, which is where the line basics come in. There's definitely value. I don't think there's anything wrong in the 3K approach. It's just the way most people interpret that 3K approach. Mm, but that's all it is. It's it all it is, and they there, don't relate. As opposed to it being a, a, a good, solid foundation, yeah. saying. I mean, if, let's, so just for example, let's take Kihon, right? Most people, Kihon is line basics. Mm-hmm. That's it. For me, Kihon would be your line basics. You learn it in the line. You don't have anything to hit. You don't have anyone trying to hit you. You just learn the technique. Once you've learned that, you take it onto the pads. So you hit a focus mitt, a bag, I don't know, a brick, whatever the hell you want to hit. <laughs> a wall, I don't care. I'm not hitting Just a brick. Hit something. Greg, I'm not going to hit a brick. <laughs> no, one day. Tiles, no. roof tiles, anything. But you hit something. Tiles. Because if it, doesn't, if, it, if it doesn't work, if, if you're training a punch, it doesn't work, then it's an invalid technique. Mm. You, know, you wouldn't go to a boxing gym and they would tell you not to hit a bag. It's just... It's just illogical no. not to. And again, traditional martial arts, back in the day, they would hit makiwaras all the time. I mean, if you don't know what a makiwara is, it's, no. a, it's a big post where they wrap straw around it and they just hit yeah. constantly, smash their knuckles in. 
because they didn't have focus mitts. And, you know, some of them had bags and stuff like that, but mm. it wasn't that common. Mm. And you do learn really quickly if your technique's not right. Because if we haven't done punching for a little while against something, and I go to a focus mitt, I instantly jar my thumb or yeah, jar yeah. my wrist. Yeah, you need to do it. Because I know that, and as soon as I do that, I like, have a proper look, mm-hmm. make sure my hand's lined up right, do it right. Yeah. And that is the way to find out if you've lined it up right, because it shouldn't jar. But I mean, so, so again, so you've got key on, you've got line basics, you've got impact onto something. That should then cross over into kumite, which well, kumite basically just means partner work. So you've got, you've got a person in front of you, whatever you're doing is, is kumite. So let's take reverse punch, gyakuzuki, okay, reverse punch. You learn it in a line, you learn it on a pad. You get someone in front of you, this is how you land it. This is where to hit, this is how to hit. Someone's going to try and hit you, this is how you block it. So that one key on technique's turned into two or three lessons worth of teaching on one technique there. Mm. Whereas if you just do the line, it takes, what, five minutes? So I, I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been the Ian Abernethy and um, Stefan Casting podcast where they were saying if, if two people learn a hook punch, one of you just does it in the line, one of you goes and hits something, mm. you spend the exact same amount of time doing it, and then mm. you come back together and see who has the most effective punch. It's going to be the person that's been hitting things because they know if it works or not. But it might not be the most beautiful. No, exactly. And it but, might not you know, be the one that someone looks at and says, now that's a really beautiful hook punch. Look at the line of that. Exactly. It's just gorgeous. But the other one might be the one that, you know, floors the other guy. Yeah, we use a very non-technical punch can still knock you out. How many times do you see that all the time? Especially in, well, you know, you, well, <laughs> even if you watch combat sports, you watch boxing, you watch MMA, sometimes it's not the most technical punch that knocks you out. It's just might be a lucky punch. Yeah, it's the one that lands. It's, it's the just one that the one that hits you when you're not expecting right it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It just has to be on the spot. It's nice and hard, doesn't Which it? Which is why I get I'll change topics completely. Talking about, if we talk strictly self-defence, you talk about preemptive striking, which I look at into a lot. Mm. Again, it's not very traditional in karate. People don't like to teach it because they don't mm. think it's right. But someone's not expecting to be hit and they get hit, it's going to have a hell of a lot more of an effect than if they're expecting to be hit. So if you preemptive strike someone who's not expecting to be hit to get yourself out of a situation, mm. you wouldn't need to do nearly as much damage as you would if you're already in that situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for most of us, it's pretty clear when we're being threatened. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. know, you, you know, know, I mean, you know, yeah. just we're not suggesting that you go out and just slap someone just because absolutely you say, not, no. oh, no. But, you know, you know when you're in a threatening situation and you need to just create some space and get the heck out of there. Exactly. And if you have to hit to get out of there, then you hit. Mm. But if you've never trained to hit anything mm. and you hit someone, what you, you're only going to make the situation worse. Mm. If it doesn't have any effect, mm. all you've done is made it worse, mm. ten times worse. Mm. And now you're stood in front of someone who's twice as aggressive and you can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which isn't good. Yeah. You have to go beyond that, that basic line basics mm. approach to training. Yeah. You just have to. And the same with... With kata, you do you do kata without its application, then what are you really doing? It's it's just not worth it. Well, I did kata without knowing what it really meant. For you know the, the first did. couple of years, but as only as a beginner, and I think that's probably yeah, completely definitely. fine. You know because you but need you were, to find. But you were your still feet. doing training that was relevant. 
you were yeah. still sparring from I mean what when did you first ever put gloves on and spar oh within a couple of weeks a couple of weeks exactly yeah and it was the gentlest of gentle absolutely you know, and yeah the, there's levels to it I mean absolutely you know. and the people opposite me were inevitably the same grade as I was and I kept getting smacked <laughs> yeah but that's you know but from, from a very that. early grade you're you're learning how to take hits how to control distance mm. which is another thing that the traditional kumite the distance is all wrong this is, I have arguments with people about this all the time. They, they mm. say you know, it, teaches, it teaches really good timing and really good distance. And my argument is, well, what does it teach timing and distance for? Mm. Because I've never, ever seen anyone in any kind of combat situation take a step back with one hand on their hip, one hand in front of their knee, and then step forward, throw a punch. You step back, block, and counter while they wait there. Mm. It just doesn't happen that way. No. And, and the timing and distance just makes no sense. It doesn't translate to anything. Doesn't translate to self defence because self defence is very, very close range, so the distance isn't there. Doesn't translate to point style WKF style sparring because the, the distance WKF. is World Karate Federation. Mm. It doesn't translate to that because, again, distancing's wrong, the footwork's all wrong. It, it's just an archaic practice that really, in, in my opinion anyway, doesn't really have much merit today. Mm. I mean, you get me wrong. If, if, if me and Jeff, if Jeff stood in front of me and started doing kumite towards me, then you would have to move because if you didn't move, he'd hit you. Mm. So there's there's that aspect to it. it. It can be quite intimidating when you've got someone screaming at your yeah. face, ready I think, to punch you. But... I think that if it has a value, that's definitely part of the value. It's intimidating. You have yeah. to be able to deal with that and definitely. face it, and you know, block and counter. And mm-hmm. the more you do that, the more it helps. My my only argument would be there's more effective ways to do it. That's I think that's very true because um, it's. I actually don't know if that's helped me with sparring. I genuinely yeah, I don't know. I it probably hasn't. No, because it's a very different thing. Stepping up, you know, in front of anybody in our class, mm-hmm. anyone, yeah, <laughs> to spar because it is that I'm going to get no warning. Yeah. Well, even for me, if I spar with someone I've never sparred before, it doesn't matter what grade they are, you, you, you take them seriously because you don't know. No. I remember Jeff telling me one time, he was, I think this was before I started, so it was a long, long time ago, he... He was sparring with um, a guy, I think it was maybe an orange belt, mm. with no one else to spar with. So he, he sparred with Jeff, and Jeff was like, I'll take it, I'll take it really easy. You know, nothing's going to happen. And it, one lucky kick or something, and he got a toe in his eye, and he ended up in A&E that night. Oh, my God. And it, But that happens. You know, anyone can get hit at any time. It's just a lucky shot will always creep in. Yeah, so absolutely, you, you, especially if you're not taking them seriously. Exactly. And like you say, so Jeff wasn't yeah, in that it's moment. It's like if I spar with you. It's yeah. not, you know, I still take you very seriously if I spar with you, just like with, with anyone else. <laughs> you have to, because you can get hit at any time. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, for me, I'm, you know, getting better. Definitely. But... Massively. You know, so much less controlled than you would be, or anyone else of your your level. So, in a way, that's, you know, I'm I'm perhaps more likely to... You know, really try and land something. You do. And inadvertently. <laughs> you do really try and land things. <laughs> I, really I can do. feel it. But, you know, I'm not necessarily going to. Uh, what am I trying to say? I could inadvertently put too much weight behind it you because could. I yeah. am not as controlled. So that's what you're, you're having to deal with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, is that if I do get through, which is rare. <laughs> no, well, no, you do. <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? That's why you have to take it seriously, because anyone can land one. Definitely, definitely mm. they can. Mm. But I think that going back to sparring, that's helped you massively in your karate training, mm. more than anything, I would say. 
from from when you walked in the door first to where you are now, your confidence level of standing in front of somebody is massively improved. Mm. But you wouldn't get that from just traditional kumite. No. No. Because uh, you know, in, really, in traditional kumite, you are safe. As long as you step back at the same time as they step forward, mm. you're safe. Mm. And and even, they even tell you what they're going to do before they do it. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> you know if someone steps back, they go, Jodan, okay, I know he's going to punch me in the head now. You know, no one shouts Jodan and then kicks you in the groin. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in sparring, yeah. you just go. Yeah, it would be a very non-traditional way, sort of lottery kumite. It, we could try that for sure, yeah. We could give it a go. Like a new training method. Could be like baseball. The guy stands behind the person receiving and makes a sign. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 there you go. You <laughs> can make any call you like, but it could land anywhere. We used to do training similar. We used to do circle training back in the day. Mm. We had um, the guys from Birmingham. We were uh, sort of joint groups with them. The the MBK, Midlands, Midlands Budokai, I think they were called. And uh, they used to come down for courses and we would do we would do things like, so you'd have 30 people in the group in a big circle, one person in the middle, everyone had a number. The instructor would shout the number and they'd attack however they want, so you'd have to move and react. That was good fun. Hurt sometimes, but it was good fun. <laughs> Especially when there's you know, 20, 30 people in the circle. That must be so intimidating. I remember once, do you remember Sharon? You remember Sharon, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we, he all gave us the same number. And she was in the middle. So we all went in at the same time. It was brilliant. We all knew we were going to do it. She didn't. Well, so we didn't hit her. <laughs> How did she deal with it? She, what just, did she, do? she was just like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, as long as no one hit her. <laughs> no, no one hit her. Not that, not that day anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like things like that because they force you to think. They do force you to think. And that's what's, I think that's what I've enjoyed so much about karate is because when I... Did it first, which was when I was 19. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, I'd done it, oh, yeah, but I don't know, for what, three months? I was a oh, nanny. Okay. I was a nanny there, so I didn't stay very long. Right. And I kept getting my butt handed to me by an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> I got old really fast. But it was um, it was really old-fashioned, I thought then. You know, everyone had to do press-ups on their knuckles every single week. And, you know, like run, run twi- twice round of That's football That's what we pitch. used to do, was press-ups. Jeff's old-school warm-ups, press-ups on the knuckles. I was the child that was... Treated like the adult, so it's fine. Yeah, I feel a bit like that. <laughs> a child that's treated like an adult. I do at times. I okay. do. I do on a Sunday morning. Do you? I do. I do on a Sunday morning a little bit. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because you know I've been doing this since I was well. I've been coming to Sunday morning training with you guys for about what six months. Um, yeah, probably about that. Yeah, about that. And um, you and Brad are second and third dance. <laughs> <laughs> And I started doing that when I was green belt, if that. No, yellow belt. Yellow belt. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a little bit like being allowed to play with the big the big yeah. kids. That's how you learn, though. It is. That's it how is. You learn. It is. I have learned so much more, and I think it's just the standard that I have to put so much more in, all, in order to do anything. Yeah. I have to. I mean, that was one of the, obviously when I passed my first time, I was 12. Which again, you know, some people would be like, "Oh, it's too young." Whatever, I was twelve; it's fine. But I would, I would train, and you know, you learn quick. Yeah. You learn very quick. Yeah. When people are bigger, stronger, faster than you, you know. You, you do. You, you do learn quick. You, yeah. Absolutely, you know, and and that's definitely what happens. I was going to say to you, if 
when you listen to podcasts or mm-hmm. audio or read anything yeah. about traditional versus non-traditional, what is it that you wish that someone was saying? What is it that you think that people aren't getting that you wish that they knew? I think I just wish people would get that there's nothing wrong with learning a tradition, quote unquote, traditional martial art for the sake of learning a traditional martial art. It annoys me when you see people justifying that as something that's going to work for self-defense or going to work for this or for that. And it doesn't. I don't think there's anything wrong. If you want to just do kata, kihon, kumite, just those three things, that's fine. But just understand why you're doing it. Mm. I think that's the biggest issue with a lot of the people that do. And I've had this conversation with people and they just, some people just do not get it. And I think that Ian Abernathy talks about this all the time in his podcast. Mm. Context is a massive thing. You need to mm. understand what you're training for mm. and, and does your training mm. reflect <clears throat> the outcome. And if it doesn't, then you need to question why you're doing it. Mm. And that's what people don't do. People don't question very much in traditional martial arts and they do in modern martial arts. I think that's the thing. I really enjoyed karate, but my brain got switched on when we started learning bunkai and interpreting and saying, this is what it actually Mm -hmm. means. And now take this section, you know, twist him over, put him in an arm lock, but you're in the wrong position for the next bit. So now think you could do this, Mm -hmm. move into something else. I I think I've been very lucky since, because Jeff was someone who's looking back was very ahead of his time, really, compared to a lot of the traditional clubs that were around. He would do... He would do bunkai occasionally. He would do a lot of heavy sparring with boxing gloves on, which you know, traditional karate clubs wouldn't do that at all. Mm. He would do a lot of things like that. A lot of takedowns, throws, joint locks, things like that. Again, mm. most traditional clubs wouldn't do it. And again, now that we've moved into to Joe's club, Joe's very similar. He's a lot of bunkai, a lot of pad work. He's very open to to new ideas. Mm. And it, it's, yeah, I think it's important to be in a club like that especially when you're a Q grade. That's how you get the most out of it. You want someone who's happy for you to go and learn. Like Jeff was always saying, you know, if you, if you go to another club and learn something, bring it back, show me. If you go to judo and learn something, then bring it back and show me and we'll see if we can use it. He was always very open to learning things. Okay, so even though I've trained with him and you've mentioned him, tell us about Jeff. The Jeff of the story is Jeff Richards. He is my first, well, my only, I would say my only teacher, really. I started training with him when I was seven. Um, I think he was a third down at the time, shortly after he was a fourth down. And I trained with him for 20 years, I think, before he eventually took his belt off and retired from karate training. Mm-hmm. And what about you? What's your training been like? My training. So, well, I started training with Jeff in 97. And my training was very, probably similar to yours, Sue, to be honest. I, I started off very, very basic karate Started sparring quite early. That was, the, I think, I sparred on my first night, which was interesting for a seven-year-old. Pretty much his standard karate training up until, like we were talking about before, brown belt, mm. and that's when it kicked into high gear. And you did a lot more sparring, a lot more takedowns, a lot more kata and different things like that. Um, I would say it wasn't until I got to first dan when I really started learning. From that, that was when I would start training on Sunday mornings with Jeff and some of the other dan grades. That's when my training changed and I got a lot more out of it. And you're going for your fourth dance soon? Hopefully, yeah. I've got to set a date with um, Ian and Joe. Um, Ian Abernethy? Ian Abernethy, yeah. And then we'll go from there. Training for it, though. Getting in better shape. <laughs> Christmas took its toll. So we're getting there. 
We are getting there. Yeah. For anyone Let's... listening to this, Greg Greg wanted this to be getting Greg fit. Getting month. Greg fit month. It didn't work. It didn't great. work at all because he went off and had flu. I did. I did. <laughs> but you know, February's a new month. We'll try again. <laughs> we'll try again. I'm not unfit. It's all right. I'm still in the gym. I'm still training, even if I'm not training with anyone. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll get there. So thank you for joining us. This has been Sue and Greg's first podcast and see you next time.